seated. God bless you. It's good to be home. Good to be home. My home in Ohio. Thank you. Uh, I love your pastors. You, uh, short commercial. Uh, you've got one of a kind pastors. You better hang on to them and bless them immensely. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, whenever you get in, in trouble and you need to call somebody for prayer, you know, I've got, I've got two people in my life that I, I trust them. And I've got a lot of people I know and I like, but two people I trust. So when hell lands, I call these two people. I said, listen, I'm dealing with this. I need you to pray. And I know they will. Uh, they're not the easiest personalities to be around. Really. I mean, people that are serious about God, they're not, they don't work for the welcome wagon. Welcome wagon would fire them the first day. Uh, those are the kind of people that they scare hell. And what you want, you want somebody that scares hell when they walk in. And so I, I like people like that. So first time I met Pastor, and he took me out, and we, we visited for a long time, and, and it didn't take long to get to know him. That this is one very serious individual. And uh, if uh, I ever need to call somebody, I'm going to call this guy because uh, he scares hell. He scared me, and I figure he scares hell. And, uh, and I love people like that. So I, I honor him and I admire him. So uh, thank you, Pastor. Uh, this is going to be kind of unique tonight. This is a kind of different. Um, I changed up my style a lot probably. And uh, I like to think uh, my board told me I was getting wiser. I don't know. My wife told me I was getting older, and I don't know which it is. I think they go together. Uh, People ask all the time, how, how do you get a great family? They think, Denise, I've been lucky. And we're not lucky. There's no such thing as luck. I've got my fifth daughter with me, Lauren, here tonight, and uh, she's now my new assistant. Just, uh, she got a degree in interior design. She had a great job, and uh, we just switched all that. I said, you need to come work for me. You can design something for me. And uh, she knows when I breathe and when I do something, and so she's great. So I've got three of my kids working full time. Denise, I swore we'd never hire any of the kids to work for us. No, no. You will work somebody else, and you'll go out and you know, get, get you a degree and get a job and work for somebody else. I'm not hiring you. Well, I, I have. I've hired three of them. And actually, i got a fourth one on part-time. Like, so my oldest daughter, who's got her doctorate, she uh, got her doctorate in uh, you know, nonprofit corporations and how to build stuff. So she's a walking encyclopedia. And, and so Denise and I, we, we wanted a big family. And so we came from families of 12. Our fathers, both our fathers had 12 brothers and sisters, so big family. I wanted a big family. Uh, I thought family was where it was. You grew up in a little mining community and there's nothing much going on, but there's always family. You want to go get something to eat? Find a family member. You want to have fun? Find a family member. You want to get in a fight? Find a family member. I mean, they, they were at Disney. We are all wrapped up in one, and so we really liked them. So uh, we, we, wanted, we wanted a big family. I wanted five kids, so God did above beyond what we could ask to think. We got six. Now, back when we were having babies, they didn't know what the baby was. You didn't know it until it popped out. So like anybody, I wanted a boy. I want to have a male here on the family name. So uh, our first child was born. It was a girl. And uh, not only was a girl, she, she looked kind of ugly. And I thought, man, no, she's a girl. She's an ugly girl. Now she turned out to be really, really pretty. But uh, thank goodness. So I'm just telling the truth. And so, uh, so when the second baby came along a year and a half later, and we had another girl. So I said, man, whoa, another girl. Goodness gracious. So, so we tried the third time, another girl. Fourth time, another so my fifth girl sitting here tonight, so I figured after five girls, I have no male genes in me. And I'd, I'd done some reading, it's, that's the man's thing, and I said, evidently there's no males in the family line right here. And so when John was born, you know, when he popped out, we just assumed it's another girl, he popped out, I said, man, that is not a girl, that is a boy. And uh, we had a little camp meeting in the delivery room, I said, man, we got us a boy, and I got so excited, and, and Denise, they were taking care of, she never really cried much in delivery, she did really good, and so... 
So I said, honey, it's a boy, it's a boy. And she started to cry. I said, what's wrong? And she said, we'll have to have another one. I said, what for? Give me somebody to play with. I said, he's got five sisters. He's going to be great. I guarantee you, they're going to make sure he's fine. And so people would look at us because they would say, well, uh, when we started traveling, um, people just assumed since we had six children, we knew something about them. I said, just because you know how to have babies doesn't mean you know what to do with them when they show up. And so we had to learn on-the-job training. And so we realized, well, we, we don't want sissy kids, and I want righteous kids, I want godly kids that fear God. And so we began to pray and make sure we were in church, and every time the doors opened. And uh, I never had my family, it was the oddest thing, people would ask, how do you get your kids to go to church? I said, what? They said, how do you get your kids to go to church? I said, I don't understand what, what you're asking. It's not like it's an option. It was never an option. Kids, we just went to church. Nobody ever asked None of my six kids ever asked, Dad, are we going to church Sunday? I said, well, is the sun going to come up? Then I guess we're going to church. You know, it's just, it was just an automatic thing. And so they, they thought we were normal. So, so we kind of created a different culture. So over the years, we started teaching parenting classes, marriage classes, and that's when we kind of launched out 26 years ago and started traveling. So we still do about 70 seminars a year, and we're on the radio now. And, uh, we've got a real good publishing company. So we're trying to educate people about family. I believe the family was the first thing God made. It's the first thing he lost. The Bible says when the first Adam came, he lost it, but the second Adam came to put it back together. The last great day revival is going to have to do with the family. God said, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. You'll dream dreams. The last great day revival is going to be at the family. He's going to, God's going to recover what he lost. God always finishes stronger than he starts. So we put this thing together, and people are asking us, so... Uh, the number one statement, we, uh, we did a survey last year. So we do this every year, and we mail out to all the people that are partners with us and on our mail list and, and visit our website. So we do these questionnaires. Because we learned that the number one statement of all parents is, seems to be this, when are you going to grow up? So we did surveys with kids. What was the thing your parents said to you the most? When are you going to grow up? When are you going to grow up? I thought, well, I don't know. You need to tell me. I mean, I, I thought I was when I turned 18, but evidently that wasn't enough for you. It, when, maybe when I was 21. Well, that didn't work either, and I don't know. Maybe I grew up when I'm 30. I don't know. And so we've had all these answers. So I'm going to give you this right here. This is what came in last year, and we got thousands of answers. These are the top four. Most common prayer requests. Most common prayer requests among families that mailed in. Number one, we want more love and respect in our family. We want more love and respect. Well, what does that mean? You don't have any. <laughs> Number two, we want more unity happiness and less arguing well, what's that mean well you're fighting all the time you know number three we want to be in agreement even when we don't agree i said well, i can't do that that's not possible you're going to have to get in agreement and kind of stay in agreement and what you began to realize was we got a problem now these are christians these aren't unbelievers these are believers born again believers churches we've been to people we know the fourth thing is we want to make working together more fun well this well, we don't have any fun so the most common prayer request is we don't have any unity you know, Jesus prayed, Father, make them one together like you and I are one. The devil divides, Jesus unites. Uh, if you got a great family, it's not an accident. You did not get lucky. People would always say, man, you got lucky. Honey, there's no such thing as luck. There's God, the devil, heaven, and hell. We're in the middle like an Oreo cookie. There is no such thing as luck. That word doesn't exist. And so you're making choices to serve God or not serve God. It's just that simple. And so we got this. Now, the number one goal, we also did the survey last fall. We did this. What's your number one goal for next year? These are the families. Your number one goal. Well, it's the same thing. Number one, we, we want to be closer as a family. <laughs> well, evidently, we're not. 
We want to have more fun together as a family. We don't like being together. We mostly yell, holler, scream, throw cans of green beans at each other, and you know, use foul language, and that doesn't seem like what we had in mind. Number three, uh, we want to have more unity, peace, and harmony together. And number four, we want to build a stronger core. So what was it? Well, the family's in trouble, and it started in the Garden of Eden. It was all great. You know, you read the story. Uh, you know, the, everything's par- it's paradise. It's perfect. It's beautiful. And so God's Adam's in the garden. He's naming all the animals, and he's having a really good time. And, and all of a sudden, God comes down one day, and everything he made, it was all good. God said, it was good, 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 not good. The first time God said not good, he was looking at a man. Adam said, what's not good? You're alone. He had no concept of alone. It's just him, the birds, the bees, the flowers, the trees. You're alone. Here, later in, take a nap. I'm going to take a rib. We're going to fix that. So Adam woke up, and there was the centerfold of all life. Ooh, that's good, God. I thought you'd like that. Y'all go from fellowship and get to know each other. So I don't think they, they didn't feed the camels that day. And... Uh, well, the problem is the devil's been fired from his job. He's been cast down to the earth, and uh, he's mad. He's lost all of his punch and power. He was the anointed cherub that covered. He was in charge of wealth, music, you know, the four things he was in charge of in heaven. Uh, and he thought he was somebody. One day he got a stupid thought. And they had an angelic union hall, I guess. Uh, they met somewhere, and there are so many angels about it says you can't count them. So they all got together, and, and so Lucifer's there talking to the angels. And here's what he said. He said, boys, I can take this old man. I've been watching for eons of time. I'm the anointed chip of the cover. There's Michael, Gabriel, Lucifer. Lucifer was the big boy. He said, I've been watching him. I can take him. And the Bible says one-third of the stupid angels stood up and said, we think you can take him too. And one-third of the stupid angels followed Lucifer out of the angelic union hall and went down and tried to remove God from his throne. And so they asked, they asked Jesus one time, said, have you ever seen the devil? He said, oh, I've seen him. What did he look like? He looked like a lightning bolt coming out of heaven. What? He got fired from his job, literally, fired. <laughs> Boom. So God did not make the earth void without form. When Lucifer hit this planet, he tore everything up. He's mad. But he's got no more authority. He lost it all. He lies. He's a liar. And so he lost his authority. So God all of a sudden recreates the earth, sticks at him. we got Eve, and everything's a paradise again. And so he knows something. They got punch. They got some punch. They got some authority. I've got to get some authority. I don't have any authority. My authority has been taken away from me, but if I can get them to give me their authority, how can I do that? I've got to get them to sin. That's the whole story of Genesis. He got Adam and Eve to sin. When they sinned, they got fired from the job, evicted from the house. Their kids started killing each other, and Satan became the 2 Corinthians 4-4 legal god of this planet. It's a temporary job. Whose authority did he get? Adam. He stole it from Adam. Adam lost all authority. So people started dying and getting sick and disease, and all of a sudden, Noah and the flood. We're going to drown all of them, start all over with you, Noah and then we get the Tower of Babel. They've all gone stupid again. I'm going to have to confuse the languages. So God's been dealing with the human race since day one. Now, he had a plan. The plan was to send his son, silent out, holding out, weep the king's roaring ark. And man, thank goodness he did. That's why we're in the body of Christ tonight. But what happened with that thing was the, the woman. You always think, why did the devil go after the woman? I mean, Adam was right there when she sinned. He was right there. Now, God gave instruction to Adam. Adam was to teach Eve. God didn't talk to Eve. God talked to Adam. Adam's supposed to teach Eve. So when the devil came and tempted, he's tempting Eve. So why? Why don't we go after the man? Because everybody knows the man may be the head, but the woman's the neck. And the neck will turn that head where she wants. And everybody to this day in society knows that. And that's why the devil's gone after women since day one. Women are a low-class, second-class citizen in every country on the face of the planet. What for? Because they got punch, and the devil knows it, and i got to keep them down. i got to keep them under. And so even in America, God bless America. I love America. And so uh, 
women that were second-class citizens for, for years, couldn't even vote, second class. And so what happened is, what is this thing going on, God, with men and women? Well, they were equal, son. I made them the same. Uh, man may have come first, women came second, but they're, they're on the same plane in God's eyes. So what I want to do now, I want to show you something, because having five daughters, I realized something. I don't want to raise a Twitter-pated, sissified female. And, and I, I didn't marry one. I married a woman. Denise was raised in a family of all males except for her mother. They're all males and very athletic. And she thought like a man. Now, we didn't realize this until after we got married because, you know, when you date somebody, you don't talk about anything serious. You hug, you suck the lips off each other's face, where you want to go to dinner, what movie do you want to watch? We never talked about anything serious until we got married, and that's when we started fighting. I didn't know, man, woman, you know. And uh, I, I thought, you need to put some makeup on or cook something. Shut your mouth, woman. Well, that didn't work. I slept on the couch for a week after that one. That didn't work. So <laughs> Denise and I would joke all the time, I married a man in a woman's body. I, I just, because uh, she was not sissified in any mate. Uh, and so I, I love that about her. So what happened was, I'm going to give you this right here, uh, the five I wills of Satan, because here's where rebellion comes from. It's, it's where you're trying to exalt yourself. This is out of Isaiah 14, verse 12. God quoting what he said. The devil said, I will ascend into the heavens, I will exalt my throne. I will sit upon the mountain where God sits. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. And so he got that pride. Pride's what cost him his job. And so God made man to serve woman and woman to serve man. We're not better than each other. We're equal. We need one another. God said it's not good. He's not changing his mind. Not good. Not good. It's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make you a helper. When he made Eve, he made something better. Now, this is from your public library. The average woman's got a 3% higher IQ. Uh, she outlives the average man by seven years. She's got a better immune system. She's got twice the vocabulary. Uh, she has better manual dexterity. Four times more men are broadsided in a car accident than women. When God made a woman, he made something better to help Adam. I made you a helper. He, she's a helper. And so she's not to be abused. But when Adam sinned, it started in the first marriage. God comes walking along the garden because when they sinned, they realized they were naked. They went to J.C. Penney's, got some clothes, they're hiding in the woods. Adam comes through and says, Adam, Adam, where are you? And he finally, okay, God, I'm here. And God knew what he was doing. He's trying to get him to repent. So what are you doing? Well, I was hiding. Why are you hiding? I was naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat that fruit? Well, here it starts. First marriage. First marriage. Sin nature. Did you eat that fruit? Well, it was the woman you gave me. And God, man, it's been good, me and you paradise it was great and ever since you were brought here into my life been going downhill <laughs> paraphrasing message translation and so adam says even what's your story and she thinks man dumped on me he's dumped on me again he's dumped on me and she's saying well you uh uh snake's fault snake's fault from the very beginning it's nobody's fault it's always my daddy's fault my mommy's fault my, my in-law's fault, my boss's fault, my neighbor. Not my fault, I'm fine. And nobody would take responsibility. Nobody knows how to repent. Nobody's a step forward. And so what happened was, Satan knew, if I get the woman, I got the man, and she did. As soon as, as soon as Eve took that fruit, he fell right in line. He knew not to do it. The Bible says that Eve was deceived, Adam sinned. He knew what he was doing. And so from day one, the whole world system that the devil controls is trying to just mess women up. And so having all those girls, I had to start studying, thinking, I, I don't want a, a messed up female. Because we got a big family. we got people. Got, uh, we didn't have any divorce. They didn't believe in it. But we had people that beat people and shoot people and make moonshine and get drunk. And 
just ignorant hillbillies, but nobody would divorce. And so you, you're just stuck. I thought, well, it's not right to be married to somebody like that. That's not right to treat somebody like that. Where did we mess up? And people that went to church, well, evidently we didn't read the book. But God said, hey, son, I made something real special here for you. You better honor that. First Peter 3 in the New Testament, God says this, don't give rating for rating or accusation for accusation, but on the contrary, give a blessing that you might inherit a blessing. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to the prayers, but the face of God is against those who do evil. He's talking to a husband and a wife. God says this in 1 Peter 3, Gentlemen, uh, if you treat your wife wrong, I will not answer your prayer. I will shut heaven down. I'm not going to answer you, because that's the second most special thing I ever gave you outside of salvation is your wife. You mistreat that, I'll shut heaven down on your behalf. You get that right. So God tried to build a system and to hope, hopefully get us to do what's right. So I'm going to give you this. I like this revelation. This is Revelation 2-4. Church at Ephesus. Um, God was real pleased with them. They said really good things. You opened up church at Ephesus. I'm really proud of you. You've done these great things, this thing. But he said to the church at Ephesus, I do have one thing against you. And I said, what? He said, you've left your first love. Now here's what happened. Uh, Denise and I, we still, we, we teach this way. You know, we, we fall in love about five, six, seven times a year. Because I realized you don't just fall in love once. Get to fall in love again. And I heard a guy something, you know, I date my wife all the time because I'm constantly falling in love with her over and over again because uh, Denise is not the same woman I married 45 years ago. She changed. She changed. She told me she was going to change because I wasn't changing. And so that's a whole seminar. But uh, I'm really glad because we're not the same people that got married. We grew up. We have different standards and different opinions about things. It's iron striking iron. I tell people all the time, a marriage is not a destination, it's a journey. And you'll, be getting, you'll get to know your spouse the last day you're on this planet. You'll learn something new about your spouse. Well, I didn't know that. Well, I didn't know that. Well, that's what we call revelation. He said this, but he said, so what you need to do, if you've left your first love, you need to remember, you need to repent, you need to redo. Remember where you were. Well, I used to be in love. Couples come all the time. We only deal with Christians. Well, we've fallen out of love. I said, what? We've fallen out of love. I said, that's so sad. I said, I'm so sorry to hear. How did it happen? What? How did it happen? I don't know. Well, when did you fall in love? What? Well, you can't fall out unless you fell in. You weren't born next to each other. How did you fall in love? Well, you know, we went out on a date and drank coffee and, you know, went to dinner and get to know each other and went to a movie and then we kissed a little bit and hugged and we got married. So you fell in. Well, then how did you fall out? What? Well, you told me how you fell in. How did you fall out? I said, people, you can't fall out of love. You can fall off the couch, you can fall out of the truck, you can fall off a ditch, you can fall out of bed, but you can't fall out of love. Love's a choice. You choose to love. For God so loved the world, for God so he gave, he did something. He made a choice. He loved unlovable people. And that's how we got in the family of God. So it's the same thing. So I've seen some things in life that I really realized I, I wasn't going to help my daughters. And I, I like to think I've, at least I've done a really good job. They're not perfect because they didn't have perfect parents. But I want opinionated women. I want a Proverbs 31 woman. I want a woman that owns five businesses and mean it's not, gets up real early, stays up real late, and husband's proud of her, and she's getting stuff done. I, I don't want somebody who thinks, well, I can't do anything. I've counseled so many people, uh, ministers that have gone through divorce. Now, I'd speak to the church, and they'd call, Joe, you've got to come, we're in trouble. And maybe they've had an affair or something's happened, and I'm sitting there, and I'm counseling this one couple, and he stopped and the guy got up to get gas and I've, I've excommunicated him the night before Sunday night he's out because of what he's done I'm going to try to save their marriage and so I asked her so what are you going to do because I assume she's leaving it's his third time to have an affair third time a minister a pastor spiritual pastor 
third time, three different states, three different affairs. He's done it before, he'll do it again. I said, what are you going to do? She said, what? What are you going to do? What do you mean what I'm going to do? I mean, you're going to divorce him, I assume? And she said, no, I, I can't divorce him. Said, what do you mean you can't divorce him? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? He makes the money. What am I going to do? And she stayed with him, believe it or not. And uh, it's not a good ending, you know, so I probably shouldn't even start this story. It's like, you, you're your own person. You need to believe God. Somebody will help you. Uh, church will help you, an organization. You need to start going somewhere different. You're going to have to, you have to cut ties. So I'm probably the only minister that people have got upset with where I've, I've recommended divorce three times in my life as a minister, two times within the own family. I said, we're divorcing. I'm going to get you an attorney, and we're going to, this guy is not doing right. He's beating you. He's abusing you. He, he, he's not doing right. We're, he's dead in, in my eyes. He's dead. We're going to cut him loose. God's got a better life than this, honey. This is not right. Now, that's not a flippant decision. That's a long decision. People are married for really some time. So I was at Promise Keepers, the big pro- 1998, the, the big Promise Keepers meeting. We went to Washington, D.C., over a million men. We're there to pray for our nation, visit our congressmen, our senators. We're going to be a blessing. So we're there on, on the mall, a million Christian men praying and being spoke to. Other ministers were speaking that day. All of a sudden, a, a racket breaks out. And you can't see it, but you can hear it. And there's some noisy stuff, because I'm not a tall guy, and it's like, what is it? All this screaming going on. Well, a, a bunch of women from a national women's organization showed up, and they started screaming at the men, and they start taking their clothes off. So somebody's daughter went to Washington, took her clothes off, and screamed at the men. And I'm trying to figure out, what, what did we do? I'm sorry, did I miss something in the program? What did we do here? Why are they so mad? Were they mad at men? Well, I don't know you ladies. You're mad at the wrong man. Go find the guy you should be mad at. You're not mad at me. I don't know you. And that was just the craziest thing. And then uh, Billy Graham's daughter was speaking at a national pastors conference, and uh, they wrote an article about it in Time Magazine called The Preacher's Daughter. And I cut it out, and she was speaking at a minister's conference. Uh, when she got to the podium, half of those men who were ministers stood up, turned their chair around, and they faced the back wall. They would not stare at, look at, or honor a woman minister. They wouldn't do it. I said until 1920, women in America couldn't vote. Now, women started, if you know the suffrage movement, started in 1848. For 72 years, women picketed, wrote letters, pleaded, wrote their congresses, trying to get the right to vote. Because in America, God bless America, woman can't vote. Woman don't know nothing. Go home, cook something, honey. Be God. Clean the house, cook something. Shut up. And so we've, the devil's got inside our own heads that somehow a woman's a second-class citizen. And I grew up in the South, deep South. We loved our wives. We loved our women and our family. But, you know, after you got married, like a woman, you, you know, all the women in my family stayed home. They didn't work years ago. I mean, women stay home, clean, cook, take care of the kids, whatever. You come home, supper better be on the table. So on Sunday, we'd go visit with other family members. The men would sit in the kitchen or in the living room after the kitchen thing was over with watching a ball game. Football game, baseball game, depends on the time. And the men would come, hey, honey, bring me another piece of coconut pie. Hey, honey, get me a cup of coffee. Hey, honey, bring me another Coca-Cola. And the women would do it willingly and lovingly, serve those men. And, and I thought that's what you did. And I remember the first time I asked Denise, I was at her parents' house, honey, would you bring me another piece of pie? You come get it yourself. <laughs> and so I teach on marriage. God planned to introduce the Messiah to this planet uh, through a woman. The first visitation of an angel. God had to come to this planet. He can't come. He's got to be born here. God can't just show up, take the planet back from the devil, and give it back to Adam. He can't do that. 
a human lost it, a human's got to get it back. And it was part of the plan from the beginning of time. God told, God told Lucifer in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned, one day I'm going to come in the flesh and I'm going to take this back. And he knew what the plan was. He couldn't figure it out. The devil's a fallen angel. He can't read God's mind, but he knew something's going to happen. What's he going to do? So all of a sudden, an angel shows up, finds this virgin girl. You're going to have a baby. He's going to call his name Emmanuel, son of the Most High. You're going to have a virgin birth. The only time it's ever happened, a virgin birth. And she's, t- I mean, she's getting this wild story. Now, she's engaged to Joseph, you know. And so she's getting this wild story. And so she said, when he finished talking, well, be it unto me according to your word. Just took it, hook, line, and sinker. Now, I guess so, and I appreciate being a candidate. I appreciate it. Well, her cousin gets a visit from an angel. You know, Zachariah, you know, we've got Elizabeth with this. She, she couldn't have any kids, and the angel visits him. He's doing his time in the temple. He's in there in the Holy of Holies, and he's doing his thing, waving the incense, and the angel shows us. Hello. <laughs> so the angel gives him the same story. Your wife's going to have a baby. You know, it's not a virgin birth. It's going to have a baby. It's going to be a child. It's going to be the greatest man ever born to a woman, John the Baptist. He's going to make way for the Messiah. And so Sarah said, well, how's that going to happen? I'm old. Man, we couldn't have babies when we could have babies. We can't have now. I'm old. My wife's older than me. We're old. And so he starts doubting everything the angel says. And finally, the angel says, well, I'll tell you what, big boy. It's going to happen with you like or not. So I'm going to zip your lip up. You're not going to be able to talk for nine months. So nine months later, when the baby popped out, God opened his mouth. He told, man, thank you. I can finally tell the story, you know. And so God's going to get his will done, but God moves through word. I'll give you this right here. Acts 2, 17 and 18. Acts 2. It shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Now, women have a role. I can't do what a woman does. A woman has a baby. I mean, she can do all the things she's built to do that. Uh, I, I do the guy thing. She does it. But I'm not better than my wife. She can do things I can't do that she's really good at. I, I do things she can't do that I'm really good at. Two are better than one because we help one another. But we're letting the devil get inside too many marriages, and we've got a war going on, screaming and hollering, whatever. You're demanding something. And I tell people, listen, a marriage, and I've shared it, I don't know how many times, a marriage is a funeral. Hallmark's got the cards all wrong. It should say, I'm so sorry, I heard you got married. <laughs> because a marriage is a covenant. If you don't die at that covenant thing, you're a half-dead zombie. And so Denise and I learned earlier, man, we don't have any more rights. We're, we're, we're dead. I, I promise before God witnesses, until death us do part, I'm living for you this day forward. I'm the second greatest thing that's ever going to happen to you outside Jesus. I'm the second greatest thing. I'm going to make your life better. I'm not perfect, and I'm going to have to grow. I'm going to have to repent some and figure things out, but I'm going to grow. I'm the second greatest thing that's ever happened to you. And so I told these that on a regular basis. I like this, Galatians 3, 27, 28. Let's get right to the bottom of the thing. He says this, there is neither male nor female for you all one in Christ, even in the New Testament. There's no male and female. Now, some of the writings, and you know, and you take your theology class, you realize women had no rights in New Testament times. You know, they need to be quiet and do whatever. And, well, that's because women weren't allowed to get any education. Women didn't know anything, and so, and so they, they, were, they were really abused during Jesus' time, and he knew that. So I was thinking of when my daughters are coming up, i got to get inside their head. Uh, I want you to get married, have 20 babies, suck the lips off your husband, keep a good, clean house, and own five businesses. I want you to do that, but you've got to think different than you think right now. You need to know who you are in him, in whom, and in Christ. It's not in whom you marry, it's in Christ. You've got to be the second greatest thing that ever happened to your husband. I want them to know that. You are the second greatest gift that ever happened to him. He that finds a wife finds a good thing, obtains favor from God. And you need to let him know that right away. Buddy, you found a gift to me. Well, I guess you, we would make fun in junior high. I guess you just think you're God's gift to man. 
And I told him, tell him, yes, I am. I am God's gift. I can go get three scriptures on it right now. I'm a great gift to you. Not you, but somebody like you, evidently, not you. So, Psalm 68, verse 11. Boy, people don't like this one at all. Psalm 68, verse 11. Women ministers in the last days. The Lord announces his word, and the women who proclaim it are a mighty force. Kings and armies flee in haste, and the women at home will, will divide the spoil. God never saw a woman as a second-class citizen. She performs differently, functions differently. She does what a woman does, but she's, she's not a man, but she is equal in God's eyes. And somehow we've messed that up. Until we fix it, the divorce courts are just as full of Christians as they are unbelievers. And that's wrong. Somebody didn't tell you who it was you married. You married a gift from God to help you do what you're called to do. So you might want to get busy figuring out what that is. So we'll give you this list. This is our short sermon, but this will be really good. You think you're going to get copies of this, I guarantee you. Man, what did he say? Did they record that? This one I did for my daughters. We'll start with this one. Uh, Moses' mother defied Pharaoh's decree by having a baby and hiding it, preserving it. We saw Ten Commandments, Cease to be the Bill. It's a really good story. And uh, hiding the baby in the basket, and so they're going to float it down, and so she floated it down. We knew Pharaoh's daughter couldn't have any kids. Now, no, it wasn't public, but they knew it. She can't have a baby. She floated that baby by. Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby in the basket. She shows up. Oh, I uh, got a baby. She said, I've lost my baby. Moses' mother said, I've lost my baby, and she had, technically, and uh, I've got full of milk, and I can nurse that baby for you. And so Pharaoh's daughter hired Moses' mother to raise him up. And what God did, God used the enemy to raise up the deliverer. <laughs> That's a funny story. <laughs> by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because the mother saw that she was, had a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Rahab, you know Rahab the harlot, she had the keys to taking of Jericho, Joshua 2, 9. She said to the men, now the men came and they just came through town late one night and they're spies, they're spying out the land, you know, knocked on the door and said, hey, can we stay here? And nobody figured they'd look. Now, it was, prostitution was legal back then. So, you know, it's a prostitute's house. Hey, we hide here. Nobody's going to be looking for us here. And so the king found word. Somebody said, hey, man, we, we got spies on the land. They're here. we got to find them. They're searching all the homes. They knocked on her door. They came through the house, but she'd hid them up on the top roof under some thatch. And they couldn't find them. So all of a sudden, she got them. And here's what she said to them. I know, I know that the Lord has given you the land that the terror of you has fallen on all of us, and that the inhabitants of this land are faint-hearted because of you. Remember me when you come back, because I know this whole city is going to be destroyed. Jer Jericho and everybody in it died, except for her, her mom, her dad, and brothers and sisters. She hung that red cord out of the window. Remember me, I've spared you, because I know you are men of God. And her faith, and she's, listen, the heroes of faith, a harlot. Listen, she's a hero of faith. She believed God. It's not what you've done, it's who you want to believe. Let's <laughs> be good. Hannah cried out. She's down there. She couldn't have a baby. And, you know, her husband's got two wives, and the other woman's dropping babies like rainwater out of heaven. And so she can't have any. She's down at the temple, and she's crying. And Eli, the priest, like, she, he thought she was drunk. Man, woman, you need to sober up. Don't you mean you're drunk? I'm not drunk. I'm grieving. You can't have a baby. And she told the story. And so here's what he said. Here's what he said. 1 Samuel 1, 17. Then Eli said, well, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition, which you have asked of him. Now, what she asked, she said, if he'll... God will give me a baby, I'll give him back at age five. I'll bring him back to the temple. And Samuel was the greatest prophet Israel had ever known. Man, got some big prayers answered. Well, if that babyless woman hadn't prayed for a baby, God wouldn't have given her a baby, and that boy would not have been born. And he saved the nation. We don't know how many times that God has used women in a mighty way. And so when I went to, when I studied history, I, I, I made sure I loved history. I don't remember any women heroes. 
I don't remember them. If I learned them, I don't remember any names. All the heroes were men, you know. And so, uh, you know, we, we loved uh, Tennessee, you know. Uh, we got our heroes down there and no more from World War One. you know. I collected the movie, you know. And so I, I remember growing up as a kid, all these men I looked up to. Little women do, where they cook and they clean, but I look, I'm following the men because got a good woman. A good man gets a good woman to cook and clean. And so I didn't realize that women were used by God on an equal level. And I realized if I've got all these women, I want to make sure they can get us some goodly men, good godly men. But if you're not worth having, who's going to want you? And so I better help you find out who you are. You're not second class. Don't ever act like it. So like this Deborah, the great judge and prophet that's delivered to Israel from the chariots of Jabin. Judges 4.9. The king showed up at her house because they knew they were being attacked and Deborah's prophesied we're going to have victory. So the king showed up and said, hey, hey, you've got to come with us. He said, why? He said, man, we're getting, we're, I'm not going anywhere without you. You're the one that hears from God. She was the prophetess because there were no prophets. You know, she'd sit at the city gate and answer questions and civil disputes because she could hear from God. And everybody liked her. And, if there were, and so he, the, the general showed up and said, I'm not going unless you go. And she said, well, fine. And here's what she said. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera, the evil king, into the hand of a woman. That's a direct quote. All right, big boy, I'll go. Now, if you need your mommy to go with you, I'll go. You know, but I'm going to tell you something. You'll get no glory because God's going to give glory to another woman. Well, just a few weeks later, the woman's story came up, just four verses later. Jael, the woman, Judges chapter 4. A woman brought destruction on Canaan and their leading general, Sisera. Because Israel's winning, Sisera ends up realizing, man, we're getting beat, we're getting beat, we're losing, I'm losing soldiers. And so he's running for his life through the desert. And so they've made old movies about it. He's running, he's running, he finds, finds a little goat herder and, and his daughter's there and he's out of it. <laughs> he said, man, you got any water? I'm, thir I'm thirsty. And she knew who he was. She said, well, she didn't say she didn't have water. She said, I've got some goat's milk. You ever had warm goat's milk? You'll want to go to sleep. Because it'll knock you out. And so she milked that goat, and she handed him a big old thing of warm goat's milk. And he got in the tent and said, said protect me. Let me know if anybody comes. i, I got to rest a minute. And so he laid his head down in there, and he went to sleep. Now, they won't, they won't put this in a movie, but it's a great story. I used to tell it in children's church all the time. So that little, that little country gal, as soon as she got him passed out, she took a big wooden tent stake. You know, they don't have metal ones like they have at Walmart today. The big wooden tent stake and wooden hammer. And she set it right down the edge of his head as he slept. And she drove his head to the tent floor. He died. Because <laughs> Deborah already said, said, you know, you need to be a big boy, gentlemen, but since you won't be a big boy, God's going to give the glory to a woman. God's looking for anybody that'll let him use them. Doesn't male, it's not male or female. It's anybody that'll let him use them. And so you got to learn how to pull on God. So I like this. That was a, they need to put that in the movie. It's real good. Queen Esther, risking her life. Everybody knows this. They made movies about that. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. She's a Jewish gal, but evidently she's real good looking. The king's got a, supposedly a really great woman, but she won't come visit him. And he's throwing a big party for 30 days. She won't come in. And she doesn't honor him. She dishonors him. He's out mad. He said, well, fine. I'll fire you and I'll get another queen. And so he did. He fired his wife. I don't know how you do that, but fired his wife. So we're going to have a beauty contest. I'm going to get me a woman so beautiful. So they're having a beauty contest and bringing all the women, and they don't know Jew from Gentile. And so Esther comes in and says, oh, that's a good-looking woman. And so she won the beauty contest, and she was made queen, and so she's now the queen of the most powerful land in the world. How'd you win this? My looks. I mean, she knows it. 
And so she's being a good queen, thinks she's going on. Well, you know, Mordecai's involved in some stuff. She's coming to him and says, hey, the king just made a rule, hon. I don't know if you know it. Uh, somebody suckered him into making a rule to have all the Jews killed. She says, yeah, I heard about that. Well, darling, you do remember you're a Jew. And so you're on the list. If he makes a rule, he's like God. If he makes a rule, he's got to obey it. And so you're going to have to do something different. You're going to have to get him. He can't change the rule. He's, he's God. He can't make a mistake. He's going to make another rule that the Jews can defend themselves. And so you've got to go in and, and, and petition him to do that. Well, unless the king invites you, you don't go in. So she had to go in on her own and hope that he decided, well, honey, I'll kill you, woman. I didn't tell you if you're coming here. And so she not only walks in, but she has divine favor. And, and the king says, honey, what do you want? I'll give you half the kingdom. Whatever you want, I'll give you half my kingdom. Well, all I want to do is come to a dinner. I want to have a lunch. And I want to feed everybody. So they had a little buffet lunch. And he came, and then she told the story about the guy who made the the thing that made him make the rule against the Jews, so he made another rule, well, the Jews can defend themselves. So Mordecai said, honey, the famous line, you have been born for such a time as this. So she's just a teenage girl minding her own business, won a beauty contest, now she married the king, blah, blah, blah. But all of a sudden, it's like, no, this isn't an accident. And so the man of God said, you've been born for such a time as this. You're going to save your whole nation. And she did. And the Jews whipped all the Gentiles, and it was a good movie. God himself calls Sarah the mother of nations. She's listed among the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. When Apollos was preaching less than perfect theology, Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and set him straight, Acts 18, 26. Paul identified two women as the headwaters of Timothy's faith. Timothy's, he's got a 20,000-member church in Ephesus, but things have gotten tough. He's wanting to quit. So he's writing, Paul, you've you got to come help. They're going to drive me nuts. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so he wrote back in 2 Timothy, My dearly beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He was a motivational speaker, evidently. My dearly beloved son in whom I am well pleased. said, you've got faith. You know how I know that? Your mother has faith. And your grandmother has faith. Now some translations say, those two women could whip the devil one arm tied behind him. Son, he never mentions his dad or his grandfather. Your mother had faith. Your grandmother had faith. You need to get back over there and take charge and make make things happen so he didn't quit the ministry Timothy went back and became one of the great pastors of our whole New Testament why because Paul reminded him you got faith your mama had it and your grandmother had it now the only thing I'm trying to do now is let you know something we're between Mother's Day and Father's Day and I love this time of the year uh, I, I love my wife man it's a great wife give me six great kids sucks the lip off my face I love kissing that woman the greatest kisser in the world I've never kissed anybody else so I have nothing to compare it to but I like what it is and so, but, but I did not marry a Twitter-pated female, and I took that for granted for years that, you know, I just took it for granted. And I got to realize when we began to travel and teach that you're not normal. Honey, you're, you're not normal. You're special. I appreciate that. I want you to make my daughters like you. Uh, I want you to be, a, again, a very loving wife and a caring mother, and I want you to, but you're not, you're not Twitter-pated. I want you to take your stand and make your, and if you have to talk to your husband, you need to smile real big and tell him the truth. Because that's what I love about the nation, tell him the truth. I like this, in uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 2, Paul praised nine women as people of faith, courage, and proven ministry. Acts chapter 16, verse 14, the first European convert was a woman named Lydia, and her, her and her whole house got saved. <laughs> at the cross, and we've all seen this, you know, Luke 23 at the cross, the men scattered, except for John. There were no men at the foot of the cross. There are only women. There are only women when he came out of the grave. I don't know if you know this, 30%, uh, let's just do it, let me say it this way. 70% of the people that crossed the Oregon Trail to settle the West Coast were female. They weren't male. 
uh, because it got hard, got cold, and the men turned back. So we're logical. A woman's not logical. She's a she-bear. The Bible warns you about a she-bear, not a he-bear. Now, you've seen National Geographic films. Two he-bears meet. They'll stand up. They, they, it was on the other night. We watched another set. Two he-bears. And they're going to out-gun flap each other. They're sizing one another. But if a she-bear runs into a he-bear who's bigger than him, if she's got cubs, she will attack him immediately and try to kill him or die trying. You don't mess with a she-bear. That'll be a bumper sticker. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus told a woman named Martha that he was the resurrection of life. He had never told that to a man. First time he revealed that, he told that to a woman. Mm. John 14, verse 8, Jesus told the Samaritan woman, you know, they're at the well. The reason the Samaritan woman comes to the well, it's high noon. Now, nobody goes to the well at high noon. It's hot. You go early, you go late, not at noon. She goes at high noon because she has no good reputation. She's had five husbands. The guy she's shacked up with is not her husband. And so she goes to the well to get water. Jesus is sitting there. The boys have been there, and he sent them to town to get some food. He's just sitting on the edge of the well. She comes up, and she's drawing some water. She says, I'm going to give me some water. And she knows he's a Jew. And so he says, why do you ask me for water? You know I'm a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans, we don't mix. We don't like each other. And said, so why, why do you ask me for water? I said, well, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water. I'd give you living water. You'd never thirst again. And then she began to read his mail. And said, talking about her family, said, you know, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. And she got dumbfounded. Eventually, she ran back to the town, and she was yelling up down the street, you can't, I've met him, you've got to come meet him. I've met the Son of God, the Christ. He's here, he's outside the well. And the revival started because that woman dug those other people out. God has great things for men and women. But we better make sure as Christian men, we're not abusing, misusing, and ridiculing women because God does not smile at that at all. The second greatest thing God ever gave me was my wife. And I want to appreciate that. I love the hugging and kissing. I really do. We don't have six children because we love children. But at the same time, I better honor the office she stands in because, man, trained our kids, raised our kids. Whenever they need something, they go to the mother and talk. If they needed encouragement, they'd come to dad. If they needed correction, they'd go to their mom because they knew mom, mom would give it straight. Mom's like, you know, mom would tell them, you're getting too fat. You know, you need to wear your makeup. You're going to fix your hair. Mom would just hit them like a laser beam, and they knew mom will tell the truth. Mom will tell the truth. Uh, men accused Mary Magdalene's act of worship, saying she wasted a valuable thing of perfume. The Jewish text says the perfume that she poured over Jesus' feet was worth a year's wages. Now, I don't know what you make a year. I don't know what I make a year, but I can't imagine buying a bottle of perfume that costs a year's wages. That woman had it, and she broke it, and she poured it over Jesus' feet. And so the people are living. Man, that crazy woman, crazy woman, crazy women. Waste all, waste all that money. And so here's what Jesus says. So she poured that thing over his feet and said, Jesus said this, she's done this in preparation for my burial. Leave her alone. Because he knew. I mean, he knew what was happening. And so she honored him and Jesus honored her. So we went through and we gathered all the stories and people sometimes look at us kind of funny. So I'll give you these last two. So I put these together mainly for my girls. Um, Midst of famine, 1 Kings 17, 13. The midst of famine, the prophet's out there, and man, he can hear from God. So birds have been dropping food on. By the way, the birds were getting it from the king's table. Where'd that food come from? They're stealing off the king's table. He'd bring, in, he'd bring in sacrifice to the idols down in his temple, and the birds would go fly and get the food from off the temple idol and take it out to the prophet in the country. So he's eating real good. 
And so the birds stopped dropping food one day and the creek dried up. He said, well, evidently God's not here. And so what, what's going on? God said, well, I've got a widow. I've got a widow in town that's going to take care of her. So you just think, rich widow? I see a rich widow going to take care of me. And so he heads to town. And so he sees this scraggly old woman, you know, gathering some sticks, you know, evidently she's going to make her last meal. And he said, and God said, that's her. I said, what? Well, I didn't say she'd be a rich widow. I just said, I got a widow that's going to take care of her. And so the prophet goes, I said, what are you doing? She said, well, me and my son are going to make our last meal and die. We're going to make two corn dogs without the weenies. Don't have any weenies. We're going to make, got some meal and some oil. We're going to make two corn dogs and we're going to die. And so the prophet said, well, I'll tell you what, before you do that, make me one. Now, that's pretty arrogant. Well, the Bible says the woman just stared at us and said, okay, we're going to die anyhow. And she made one. Well, you know the story. That meal did not run out and that oil did not run out. And that woman saved her and her son and her family. And she got her name in the book. So women do incredible things. So if we're going to rewrite the history, let's just tell the truth. You know, what, what truth is. So I give you the last one like this one. Mary, the mother of Mark, she's holding a Bible study. And nobody did that. Herod's killing anybody, Richard, remotely Christian. So this is a bold woman. So if you ever read uh, the book of Mark and find out about him, he was a teenage kid who followed Paul around. But boy, he got his name in the book. In the Acts chapter 12, verse 12, it said there's a large prayer meeting going on. Uh, the angels delivered you know, Peter from prison. He's down there and he's knocking the gate and uh, nobody's hearing him because they're all in there praying. And what are they praying for? Well, they're praying for Peter to be delivered. <laughs> well, Peter's out. And their prayer got answered. They just don't know it. And so a kid comes out. Well, who are you? Well, I'm Peter. Let me in. No, you're in prison. No, I got out. You prayed and the angels helped me and I got out. And so finally he said, they came out, Lydia came out and they, they, they got, he got delivered because a woman's leading a prayer meeting in defiance of a heathen king. Uh, I just don't know how many words I can give in closing, just to say it real simple. Um, second greatest thing God ever did for me is gave me a wife. Second greatest thing. Now, in the early years, Denise and I fought like cats and dogs and she bears from the south side of Hades. We yelled and hollered and cussed each other. We go to church and we sit down there and praise the Lord, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. We go home yelling, screaming, cuss, and I'd sleep on the couch and sleep in the bedroom. So we were there. We were there. And, and I, I was stuck because there was no divorce in my family. So I think, I'm married a she-bear and I'm stuck. And so my friends that I went to school with said, what's wrong with your marriage? I said, I'll tell you what's wrong with my marriage. I married a she-bear from the south side of hell. And they'd say, well, she sure is pretty. Yes, she is. I said, the devil's good looking. You ever read that in the Bible? The devil's good looking. <laughs> and I meant it. I wasn't I'm trying to be funny. I just told the truth. And so it was a Spearfield Methodist that got Denise down a Bible study. And uh, about the sixth week, I realized I don't know two scriptures rubbed together. I carried a Bible my whole life. Went, I've been in church since I was born, and my mother's womb was in church. We went every Sunday, every Wednesday, every uh, training union. We were there. Now, I carried it, but I never read it. I just kind of waved it like a magic wand, scare the devil. <laughs> no, it's not what's in the book. It's how much of the book you get inside of you. That's what produces faith. And so... I'm in that Bible study, and I, I asked about the sixth night because I'm the only one not participating, and he's our boss. We're all there because we all need raises, and we're bringing our wives for dinner every Friday night. But I didn't know what a Bible study was, so I'm in it. So about the sixth night, and he said, Joe, how come you're not asking any questions? I don't know what to ask. I said, well, you need to participate. You're looking kind of stupid. So my wife's putting pressure on me. So finally, I raised my hand the sixth Friday night in that Bible study, and I said, Bill, uh, what, what page are you on? And he said, Joe, what kind of Bible do you have? And I remember, the, I feel it, I can feel it, I can feel it. I said, I have an American Bible. 
He said, no, Joe, what translation is it? It's in English. And that was not an honoring night. I was never so humbled in all my life. And when I got home, I started in Matthew, and it took six weeks to get to Revelation. I said, i got to read something. Cause I don't know anything. Now, all I realize is I don't know anything that's in this book, and I need to read this book. I gotta, so, man, we started having Bible studies in our house, and we invite people over. And so we didn't know what we were doing. We don't know. We know anything about no book. I know we've got to learn this book. There's great stuff in this. So the women come, they, I'd cook a big old chicken, and then they used to have that, and then people would bring a salad and other stuff. And the women, we'd talk for a long time, then the women would fall asleep in the living room, and all the men would go to the kitchen table. We would sit up sometimes, uh, the latest was 4.30 in the morning, on Saturday morning. We'd be sitting there, and we'd just open our Bible, we'd say, okay, it's your turn. Open your Bible. And we'd read something. Say, what do you think that means? And we'd talk about it. Okay, it's your turn. But next to him, he'd open his Bible. He, and we're, we're not ignorant people, we're, we're working as lab technicians. And we'd read that. Man, I don't know what that, I can't pronounce that, what that means. And so, and so we got hungry, we just got hungry for God. And God responds to people who are hungry for him. So, um, let me just say this real quickly. If you, uh, you do this when you get home. One of my favorite scriptures, Psalm 18. David was in trouble. He always started every prayer out thanking God. David's smart. God said, a man after my own heart. Whenever you're going through a hard time, David always started out by praising God and thanking God. God, you're the great God. So he did the same thing, Psalm 18. You're the most high, you're my strength, you're my rock, you're my fortress, you're my savior. And he's going through all this stuff. Then all of a sudden he stopped and he said, the ropes of death are around my neck. I am in great distress. Destruction's come on me. Death's laid his hands on me. <laughs> he goes this whole thing. And said, then, he said, but, but he closely said this, so I'm going to cry out to you. My cry will reach your ears. He had faith that God would hear him. I'm in trouble. I got alligators on my armpits, but I know you'll respond. As soon as David prayed, the very next verse, and verse 7 says, Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountain shook, and the quake became because God's anger and smoke poured from his nostrils. Flames leaped from his mouth. And it goes on to a real scary thing. And God got mad. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I love my wife, I'm telling you. But I realized we are two different people. We're not going to change. I tried for 12 years to make my wife like me. I'm gonna, we're not going to buy that detergent. We're going to buy Tide. Not going to buy no stinking cheer. I don't want to cheer nothing up. I need to get the stink out of it. <laughs> we're not going to drink any stinking Pepsi. That's a watered-down children's drink. We're drinking Coca-Cola. It's the real thing. It says on the bottle. We're getting Coca-Cola. And for 12 years, I tried to change her. And I realized God got to me. We were in church. And I realized, son, you're messing with what I did. And I realized, so I pulled into a mall. Uh, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, we were going to do a meeting, and I pulled in the mall. We had plenty of time that day. I said, honey, I need to apologize. Denise never held anything against me. We're talking, laughing. I said, honey, I need to apologize. I have been a rude husband to you because I wasn't getting a prayer answer. Something I've been praying about three years, it wasn't happening. And so I'm talking to myself while we're driving. We're having a good time. I'm just talking to myself. I said, God, what is it? What is it? And God said, now, you don't have to believe this. This is what God said to me. God said, I'm not answering your prayer because of the way you treat your wife. I love my wife. What do you mean I don't treat my, I treat my wife good? I, I'm a great husband. No. And here's what God said. This way you believe it or not. God said, your wife likes Pepsi. I didn't even know God knew there was Pepsi. <laughs> and so, and so there's some other stuff. But then I stopped and I, I pulled off. Honey, I need to repent. I have been to north end of the southbound. I'm going to change. I'm going to change overnight. It's going to take some time. I hated buying feminine stuff. I hated buying Denise's uh, uh, makeup or feminine napkins. I don't want to buy any women's stuff. Women about women's stuff. And so I, I realized I took Denise into the mall. The dealers went from the second floor. I took a yellow pad 
I said, what kind, of, what kind of mascara do you wear? What, what is the brand and what type do you and what color shape? And what kind of perfume do you like? Do you like citrus or floral? And what size clothes do you wear? What size do you bra and panties and dress and shirt? And I got all your size. What brand of clothes do you like and you don't like? And I wrote it down on the yellow pad. Spent almost an hour in Dillard's. And I've added to it through, through the years. So I realized something. So even today, I don't drink pop anymore. But when I do, somebody has, you want some pop? I said, you got any Pepsi? Yeah, I'll take a Pepsi. And so I don't use Tide detergent. I use cheer. Because uh, my wife likes cheer, and we got cheer. We use cheer detergent. But I like outside dogs. You know, the kind you don't have to feed, catch your own meat, you kill it, and eat it. I grew up in the country, and they like foo-foo dogs. And so we had a little shistu. Shistu. It's pronounced different, but it looks different. So, so she loved that dog, and so I love that dog. We did a video about it last year. And so I love that dog. So I take that dog. We go. We travel, and she take that dog with us. And so we're going down the interstate. And they stop to get out and go to the restroom. We stop. And Joe, would you mind walking Scooter for me? I said I love to walk that dog. So I get out. So now, now I don't know if you know it. In the interstates they got little plastic gloves. And so you're supposed to pick up your dog's poop. You don't leave it there on the ground. State property. You pick that poop up. You throw it away. There's a poop disposal thing. And so I'm out there with my plastic glove in one hand and my shisu in the other. My little foo-foo dog. And there's guys there with Great Danes, German Shepherds, Bulldogs. How you doing? Pretty good. How you doing? Yeah, I got my dog. Pretty good. I got my glove on. Pick up the poop here in a minute. <laughs> now you're laughing, but I'm serious. I love that dog. It, it finally went to heaven. Praise God. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'm serious. I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I love that dog. And so I, I, may, I told Denise one time, I said, it's going to take time, but I love what you love. That I'm not going to lose my manhood, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to serve you till Jesus comes. I'm going to love what you love. I'm going to do what you like to do. And so Denise would always know, Joe, it's what you want to do. And she'd always defer because she's a loving woman. But I realized something. Uh, love's what you do for somebody, not what you feel. For God so loved the world, he gave something. It cost God everything to love somebody that wasn't lovable. So real love, when you tell somebody I love you, and I love Valentine's and all the birthdays and the hearts, whatever, but love's what you do for somebody. And I want my wife to know, I said, I want to make sure when I get to heaven, after I hear you thank God for his son Jesus, I want to be the second thing that comes out of your mouth. I say, well, God, I really appreciate your son dying for me and being raised dead, but the second thing I want to thank you is my husband Joe. Man, what a gift he was. And so I want that to be the testimony. So you've got to make that determination of the devil keep you mad the rest of your life over dumb stuff. You know, I don't care what kind of detergent I use. You want to cheer it up? Put the cheer in. Well, I don't care, do you? <laughs> so, uh, I still don't like Pepsi. Uh, drink it. Really, I, I mean, if, they, if we had a thing last weekend. Where were we at last weekend? Enid? I don't remember. And so uh, they, they, didn't have, they didn't have any water. And I said, well, you guys said, well, we got Coca-Cola Pepsi. Or we got seven. I'll take a Pepsi. I drank it just because I love my wife. If Denise says she be drinking Pepsi, I'm a Pepsi man. Let's stand up. Praise God. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, you said that even we have been born for such a time as this these last days. Thank you for placing us in the body of Christ where it pleased you, Father. Thank you for the people we're with tonight, this great, great congregation. Lord, use us in the last days. Don't leave us on the sideline. Put us in the middle of the great day harvest. Put us in the middle of serving people. Give us opportunity. Father, I thank you that you are Lord over our heart's desire, Father. So you talk as we go to sleep at night. We wake up in the morning, Father. We're in your hands. Nobody can take us out. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said,
Every head bowed and every eye closed, just for 60 seconds. Nobody looking around. Nobody looking. Two questions tonight. Are you here and you say, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart, but God's been dealing with me. And I'd like to do something about that tonight. If that's you, I'd like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. Nobody's looking except me. I'll pray a 30-second prayer. If you're here tonight and say, Joe, I don't know Jesus, I'd like to pray that prayer. God said he'll save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. It's that easy. It's that easy. Jesus paid the price. He just needs your acknowledgement. Second thing I want to ask, maybe you're here tonight and say, Joe, I am saved, but I've not been living for God lately. My life's not turned out quite like I thought. I let Jesus save me, Joe, but I'm not yielded to his lordship. So, Joe, tonight I've kind of been stirred. I'd like to rededicate my life tonight. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, my family, my faith, my future. Joe, I'm ready for the lordship of Jesus. If that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer. We're going to pray with these other people out of Romans. And God will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. He'll take your sin as far as the east as from the west. He'll put it in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sin in heaven. And God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Joe, that's me. I need to get saved tonight. Would you pray that prayer? You say, Joe, that's me. I want to rededicate my life. If that's you on either count, just simply get your hand up, wave it at me real good, and put it back down. Joe, I want to know I'm right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you there. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone else? It'll never get easy this. God does the saving. God does the forgiving. He just needs our permission. Anyone else before we pray? Joe, I'm not raising my hand yet. Please include your prayers. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right. Hands down, heads bowed, and eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Guys, those of you who raise your hands, we're going to pray with you, and God's going to do the two greatest miracles he can do. He's going to save souls and forgive sin. So people, let's help them pray. Everybody say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me, and you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now, Father, those three hands that went up tonight, either for the first time ever or as a reaffirmation of their faith in you, according to your holy word and their obedience, as right now they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They will hear your voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Lord, we welcome both into the family and back into the fold. I pray, Lord, as they leave tonight, surround them with the shield of divine favor. May people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes. And, Father, bring godly friends into their life that will strike iron with them and cause them to grow and become all you want them to be. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Now, guys, those of you who raised your hands tonight, as soon as we're dismissed in a minute, you come on down here and you can talk to me or anybody down here. You just let somebody know, Joe, I got saved tonight. I've rededicated my life. Put some concrete around that thing. Don't you let the devil steal that from you. So welcome into the family, guys. Give them a hand clap.